Good evening. We are in the middle of discussing Hilfus Bishel. <coughs> we would like to try and finish off discussing Hilfus Bishel today if we can, and then move on in the next year, whenever the next year will be, to something different. Again, Hilfus Shabbos for something different. We left off at the end of the previous year discussing, we didn't manage to actually start to discuss it, but we wanted to discuss Dov of Gush. We've discussed up, up until now the halachas of Kedi Rishon, Kedi Shani, Kedi Shlishi, what one can do in a Kedi what one can't do in a Kedi what one can do in a Kedi what one can't do in a Kedi and what one can do in a Kedi Shlishi, and what one shouldn't do in a Kedi Shlishi too. But primarily we've spoken about a liquid-based food. So chicken soup, water, liquid foods we've discussed. What we're going to discuss today for a short while, uh, and then move on a little bit, is the halacha of a dober gush, a solid-based tapshil, a food that is a solid. So I, the simplest example would be a, a, a good chalun, a good dry chalun. That would be a, a dober gush, a chalun that has no liquid in it. If it's a liquid chalun, soupy chalun, and then you can't really call it a chalun, can you? But then we're not discussing that. But if we're talking about a normal solid, not that liquid chalun is not normal, but if you know what I mean, chalun, you go to, to a rice and you buy yourself a chalun, you haven't seen liquid for probably in, in its life. So a dover gush, now we're not discussing the taste now, a dover gush, a dover gush, a solid item. Now, th- there's a huge discussion in, in the, in the Shokhanach, not so much relevant to the Shabbos, but more primarily relevant to halachas of trafers and basa v'cholov, etc. What status does a solid food take? Does it have the same status as a liquid food, or does it change because it's solid? Meaning like this, we give a different halacha to a kedushin and a kedushin and a kedushishi. And the primary reason why we make a difference between a kedushin, a kedushin, and a kedushishi is because the kedushin, since the pot's been on the fire, even if it's not on the fire at the moment, but since it's been on the fire, the walls of the pot will contain the heat of the fire. It won't cool down the food very quickly. On the contrary, the concentration of heat is so powerful that you can even cook, even off the flame. The level of heat that's been absorbed by the food and the walls, and the walls and the food are containing and they're like insulating each other and adding and creating a heat that's actually able to cook. And therefore, Kedi Rishon is a Kedi that can cook, as we discussed at length in the previous urim. Kedi Shani is already a level lower because since the pot, the keli, the vessel, whatever it may be, the soup or the pot, the terrine, the, the plate has not been on the fire. It's not a hot plate. It doesn't have within it the heat of the fire. And the moment I put my liquid inside that pot, the moment I put my liquid inside that vessel, it's going to, by virtue of the fact that it's going to spread around the surface area of the walls and the base of the vessel, it's going to cool it down. It might not noticeably cool it down, but it'll cool it down to the point that it's not the same intensity of heat as it is in the Kedirishan. And therefore we say Kedirishan has a, a slightly lesser level of ability to cook. In some cases it can't cook at all. A Kedirishlishi, which is already one, one stage further, where it's now not only been cooled down by the Kedirishan, the walls of the Kedirishan, it's even been cooled by the walls of the Kedirishlishi, we then give it a status of even less than a Kedirishlishi, of a Kedirishan. And a Kedirishlishi, in most cases, can't cook. And that's as we were discussed up until now. When it comes to Dabba Gushra solid, the, 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 just the very facts on the ground of ch- change. When you take a solid and you dish it out of the pot, dig it out of the pot, I should say, and you dump it on your plate, so you take it from the Kedushin onto the Kedushini, it doesn't spread around the walls of the, of the, of the Kedushini. It stays contained into wherever you put it. 
we put in the middle of the plate, in the middle of the plate. So it doesn't have the cooling factor of the walls. But it doesn't have the heating factor of the walls either, the Kedushin. So there's a huge machlekes already going back four, five hundred years, more, six hundred years, the time of the Ramah and the Mashal. What status does the Gobbard Gush have? Does it have the status of a Kedushin and always stays at the status of, of a Kedushin because it doesn't have the cooling factor of the walls? Or do we say it doesn't matter if it hasn't got the cooling factor of the wall? At the end of the day, you've moved it from one vessel to the next vessel to the next vessel. Once you've moved it, it's going to cool down, and once it cools down, it's going to lose its intensity of heat, and therefore it won't be able to cook. So does a dover gush contain the same halachas as a dover lach, as a liquid-based fruit? Or do we say no, a dover gush is completely different, it has its own rules and regulations, and you can't learn, and you can't compare it to a liquid-based fruit at all. And that's a huge machlekes. We, Lachatkala, we take on the Dovah Gush, retains the status of a Kedush. It retains the status of a Kedush. And therefore, Dovah Gush, whether you've taken out the pot and moved into Kedush, Kedusheni, or you moved it from a Kedusheni to a Kedushlishi, makes no difference until it's lost its heat. The temperature of a Yatsaleta's voice, until it's cooled down beyond the uh, Yatsaleta's voice, will take quite a while in the Solomon. Uh, Solomon will remain hot for a while. That shows you that Dovah Gush insulates itself and, retain, and remains hot. We will, we will consider a Dabagosh as something that can cook, even if it's not in a Kedush. That is the underlying rule. However, it's not an accepted opinion across the board. This is a Machlechus Ramah Mashal. The Ramah holds that a Dabagosh in a Kedusheni gets the status of a Kedusheni. He disagrees with the Mashal. So, therefore, we go back to something which we discussed in the previous year, where we discussed labels. When we discussed this, we came up with a very interesting concept, which is the Chavot Chaim, the Shavruah. A type of a, a Peshara, a type of a, um, a, a type of a compromise, that's the word I'm looking for. I need somebody French to tell me the English word. A type of a compromise in the situation. Is the ladle considered a Kedi Shani, or is it not? Can I put my croutons in my Kedi Shlishi, can I not? So we, we said as follows, we made a compromise. We said, when it comes to something which has not yet been cooked at all, like spices, etc., then we will consider the label a keli non-keli. And therefore, by putting it into a keli sheni, you may not add spices into your keli sheni, because we'll consider it a keli sheni, not keli sushi, since the label does not take on the status of a separate so I'll ladle out the soup from the pot, I'll put it into the plate, we'll consider it with regards to something that's not yet been cooked at all, like a spice, like pepper, like paprika, like whatever you've got, whatever other spices you'd like to put in your soup, we'll consider that a kedishani, not a kedishishi, because the label does not take on the status of a new separate kedish. Since we put it into the kedishishi, we'll give it the status of a kedishishi. However, says the Chavitz Chaim, when it comes to something that already has a discussion about it, whether you can actually recook it, so, for example, a dover lach, a liquid that's already been cooked once, but it's cooled down. Which, normal, normal circumstances, we say that a cooled down liquid is considered a liquid which can be recooked. And except for a dover lach. But, it's not an accepted opinion. It's a big machlek, is whether you can actually recook a dover lach that's already been cooked. So, with regards to that, since I already have one view that says that a dover lach can't be recooked, and I have another view that will allow me to consider the label as a separate key. I can combine the two and I can actually put my liquid into the kedi chain, into my soup of the paper chicken soup, because we'll consider it a kedi shishi. 
No problem. And in a Kedish Lishi, liquids which have already been cooked can't be cooked. And we know that. So there's a sort of a compromise. On the one hand, we'll consider the Kedish Shani, the label, with regards to something that's already been cooked. Or, for example, this is extremely relevant with regards to something which has been baked already. So then I can even put my croutons into my plate of soup because, yes, that's also a makhlekes. Since it's not accepted across the board that you can cook after baking, so we'll allow you to put croutons into your soup as long as you ladled out the soup with a ladle. That way, the ladle is considered a kedishani, the soup is considered a kedishishi. Though we, no, we normally don't consider the ladle a kedishani, that's only with regards to something that has never been cooked at all. But something which has been cooked partially, either water, which is cooled down, or baked, so there's some level of cooking there, and not everybody agrees that you can recook it, then we will allow the ladle to be considered a keli sheni, and the plate a keli shishi, so I can actually put my croutons in too. That was something we discussed in the previous year, if you can remember. We're going to do exactly the same thing now when it comes to a dovagush. Since a dovagush is a matlakus, whether a dovagush is considered a keli rishon, or not considered a keli rishon, do we give it the status of a keli rishon, and it remains at that all the way through, irrelevant of how many pl- plates you transfer it to? Or do we say no, that the dovagush will lose its potency of heat, it will lose its, its intensity of heat as you transfer it from plate to plate? If that's the case, we can make exactly the same compromise. And we can say, when it comes to something which has never been cooked before, i.e., can I add some pepper? I love pepper in my chocolate. I need, I need my chocolate to be really hot. Can I add pepper to my chocolate? We'll say no. A chocolate is kedirishan. To add uncooked tablinin, uncooked spices into my chocolate, totally awesome. Totally awesome. Even if I transfer it to four plates, until my chocolate's cooled down. By the time it's cooled down, I don't want to add any spices to it anyway. So until, uh, if my chocolate's cooled down, I can't add any spices. I mean, I can. But until then, I can't add spices. Because with regards to something that's never been cooked, exactly the same as you say by the label, with regards to something that's never been cooked, we're going to give a dog a gush the status of a kedirishim. And if I can't add any spices. When it comes to something which has already been cooked, so for example, salt, or sugar, if you like to put sugar into your chocolate, or perhaps even ketchup. Right? Uh, you can imagine little kids love ketchup on everything. So if you eat ketchup with pizza, you can eat ketchup with cholent too. So they're going to sprinkle the cholent, the ketchup all over the cholent. Can I do that in Shabbos? Cholent maybe is a double lap, maybe it's a double yogurt. I don't know how you'd like to dis- define ketchup. It's not liquid, but it's not solid. There's somewhere in between, but that's irrelevant to me. Ketchup has already been cooked. Once the ketchup has been cooked, it's definitely been pasteurized, it's been cooked. You can't make ketchup without cooking the tomatoes and everything else. Once it's been cooked, then we will give dovagush the same status as a liquid. And if you transfer it to a keli sheni or keli shishi, you'll be allowed to add your ketchup to your chong. If that's how you like to eat your chong. It's a shame to ruin a chong with ketchup, but I've got to you know, allow for all scenarios. So that's exactly the same compromise as we have with the ladle we can make with the Cholent as well. Any dovagush, it doesn't have to be cholent, it can be a piece of meat. Any dovagush, anything which is a solid, which contains the heat, it doesn't allow the heat to disperse and, and cool as a liquid does, because the liquid is contained and spread around the surface area of the plate, which is cold because it's a kedishani, that cools down the intensity of heat in the liquid food, but it doesn't do so in the solid food. Therefore, with regards to something that's not been cooked at all, we give it the status of a kedishani always, unless it cools down to less than the other level. But with regards to something which is baked or cooked already, just cooled down, a liquid that's cooked already, just cooled down, etc., etc., then we'll give it the status of a kedishani and a kedishishi and allow you to add those extra pieces. With regards to salad, 
Now, this is something which is extremely important. Some people love eating chocolate with coleslaw. It's, it's, uh, I've been around asking all, all, all the boys when we, we learn our lockers with the, with the students. Oh, some shiver at the idea of eating chocolate with coleslaw, and some just can't think of eating chocolate without coleslaw. Two extremes. Are really, it's, it's a really hot debate. Can I put the coleslaw? It makes a difference for any salad. I'm using coleslaw as an example. Can I put the salad on my chocolate plate? Can I put the salad on my chocolate plate? And you're shaking your head. And the answer is like this: If I can avoid the mixing. If I can avoid the mixing, then I can put it on my own plate. Why not? If I can't avoid the mix, then I shouldn't put it on the plate. Why? Because my salad has not been cooked. Uh, most people do not cook coleslaw before they serve it. Coleslaw is served raw. Uh, cabbage, uh, cooked cabbage does not taste the same as raw cabbage in a coleslaw. It's slightly different. Therefore, it's not been cooked. If you're then going to mix it together with your cholent, your cholent, don't forget, when it comes to something that's raw, uncooked, never been through any cooking process whatsoever, retains the status of a kederishim. And then it will be considered cooking the salad. However, since it's a machlekes, it's not agreed across the board. As we said, the Ramon himself says that you're allowed to cook. You're allowed to, uh, a, a, a will be considered a kederishim when you transfer it to another plate. You say you have to be so from and not put it on the plate. That's already being a bit extreme. So if you are quite comfortable, it's not going to be mixed. And if one little strand might get lost somewhere in the process, it's not the end of the world because you don't intend to cook it and it's much you can cook it. So you keep it as separate as you can. But are you going to have salad plates like we used to have in the old English, in the old English meals? We used to have a salad, a salad dish, something which has gone out of fashion, hasn't it? It's gone out of fashion today. You still have salad, salad plates? Oh, I like that. So something which has nearly gone out of fashion today. And your salad plates. Who has a salad plate? Anybody else has a salad plate? No, I can't have a salad plate. Sorry? Some fussy husband, because they're old fashioned. It's nice. It's nice. Pater salad and beetle have been cooked. That's not a problem at all. Beetroot has been cooked. You can add it all in. It's not a problem. So, it's, 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 again, if there's a lot of dressing on, on, the, on, the, on the salad, then yes, there's only a tiny bit. Yeah, not really. Which hasn't been cooked. Yeah, then, then, then you're right. the chalons separate. Chalons with beetroot and coleslaw. No, I can't come with you. A Play chalons with coleslaw, with beetroot, and you make a whole mush out of it. Not yeshivish, that's it. Okay, I'm not here to discuss how to eat chalons. You can eat chalons the way you like, how you like. It can be a liquidy chalons, it can be a solid chalons, it can be a burnt chalons, it can be a hot chalons. It doesn't make such a difference to me. But, Solid, solid, can cook, and you're right. If there's pepper and then you have a problem with, with even a uh, beetroot. I don't think you had anything. Do you add anything to a beetroot salad? Lemon. What do you add? Vinegar, salt, mayonnaise, sugar. Okay, sugar's okay. Vinegar's probably been cooked as well. Um, what else is there? Onions. Onions. Then you got a problem. Okay, I think you get the idea. Salad plates are the way to go. Just another plate to wash up, that's all. Mm-hmm. Fill and empty, just as bad. Right, I'm going to go through now a list of, of, of scenarios, some which we discussed, some which we haven't discussed at length, that will come up in your house and, your, and throughout your Shabbos, relevant to everything that we've discussed. Some that we have discussed, some we haven't, but if it's a, a repetition, it doesn't matter, there's no harm in, in doing a little bit of Chazorah. So warming up a baby bottle in a Kaylee Shaney, we, we said that's permitted. 
Not only an occasion, you can actually pour hot water from a kedirishin over a baby's bottle. Because even though Iro kedirishin, pouring from a kedirishin, cooks, but it only cooks today, clipper. And the bottle being in between the liquid inside and the liquid outside, and, and the, it's uh, some sort of a barrier between. That barrier is already thicker than the kedir clipper, and therefore you can pour your hot water over. Pouring hot water, sorry, cooked noodles. As we discussed, cooked noodles can be added to your kedirishin as long as it's not on the fire. Don't forget, you can't add your lotion into your pot when it's still on the fire. We're talking about cooked lotion because then you've got a problem of chazor. But if you take the pot off the fire and you want to add your lotion in before you serve it, no problem at all. You can add your lotion to your soup because even though the lotion's cold, lotion's cooked. Once it's cooked, you can add it to kedirishin. Aim bishul like a bishul, no problem at all. Croutons that we discussed have been baked. Can only put into kedishani, or a it can only put into a kedishani, or kedishlishi. I mean, sorry, can only put into kedishlishi, or kedishani where a ladle was used, as we discussed a few moments ago. Once you use the ladle, since they've already been baked, you consider it a already one level less plus a ladle that makes it another level less. We allow you to put into kedishani, so you can happily serve on your shabbos table you know, baked croutons, because baked croutons most likely your soup and your yeah, at home, when you serve it, it's going to come from a kedishani via a ladle. It's very unlikely they're going to pour it out of your pan straight into your plate. There's most likely to be a kedishani, at least a kedishani with a ladle, and then you can use your baked croutons, no problem. The fried croutons, the deep fried croutons, are not a problem at all, because deep frying is considered cooked. And once it's cooked, ain't bishul bishul. You can put it into your kedishani. You can put it into your soup pot as long as it's off the fire. And whenever we talk about putting it into kedishani, we always mean off the fire, on the fire. Is always a problem of is always a problem of hazor. Adding season, seasoning to your soup in, in a kedirishin that's forbidden. Even salt and sugar can't be added to a pot of soup. You can't add any seasoning to a pot of soup because salt and sugar we said take the status of a liquid, even though it's a machlekes. It takes the status of a liquid because since they melt, they disintegrate, they dissolve. That's the word. Thank you. They dissolve as soon as they come into contact with the hot water, they, we consider them a liquid, and yes, bishul acha bishul, when it comes to a liquid, so though salt and sugar have been cooked, that's in the process of preparing the salt and sugar, it goes through a heating process, they are considered cooked, but yes, bishul acha bishul, but overlap. So we don't allow you to put salt and sugar in a kedirishin, even off the flame, but in a kedisheni, no problem at all, because in a kedisheni we allow you to add liquids that have already been cooked once, even if they're cooled down. So you can add your salt and sugar to your soup, you can't add any other seasoning, because any seasoning which has not been cooked will be cooked even in a kedishani because of kaliabishul. But we allow you to add them in a kedishlishi. We allow you to add them in a kedishlishi. Uncooked seasoning on a solid food, as we discussed a few moments ago, on your chalent, is, is, is not permitted, not even in a kedishlishi, since the dover gush is considered a kedirishan throughout its existence, as long as it stays hot and it hasn't cooled down. You can add cold water to a hot, a hot cup of coffee in a kedishani. Again, a kedishani can't cook water. It can only cook kaliabishul. It can't cook water. So you can add cold water. So you may just have a cup of coffee. It's a bit too hot. And you want to drink it fast. Add a bit of cold water. No problem at all. Or you can add a large amount of cold water to a kedi, to even to kedirishan, which has a small amount of hot water in it, as long as the water 
is as long as the kedush is not on the flame, of course, and as long as the cold water is added in at once. And we discussed this as well in the, in the shir, previous shiur. If I have a, a pot with a hot soup in it, and I want to water it down and cool it, I can pour in one go. If I pour drip by drip water, a little bit of water, another little bit of water, another little bit, I'll be cooking the little bits of water as I put them in. If I take a bucket of water and I pour it over my soup and I've watered it down and I've cooled it down at the same time, it doesn't have time to cook. Before it's able to cook, it's already cooled down the liquid in the pot. That's fine. That's not a problem of Bishop. Uh, w- where this is relevant is very often in, in using baby's bottles. If you put a, very, a lot of hot water in a baby's bottle and you want to cool it down, you want to add some cold water, as long as it's a Kedishen, you can add anyway. But if it's a Kedishen, then you can um, come out of the microwave. I don't know how you do that on Shabbos, but uh, if it's a Kedishen, you can add it, you've got to add it all in one go. Pouring hot water into a cup that is wet, which is very common. Uh, scenario, you're making a coffee and in order to make a coffee you're, you really are good and you use a kedishani and a kedishlishi so your kedishani can often have residue of water in it. Is there any problem of filling up that, that water and getting that cup again? So we say as follows, if the water in the cup is coming from the tap, it's uncooked water it's uncooked water, then we, don't, we say you've got to dry it out. You've got to dry it out because the little bit of water that's left at the bottom could be cooked by the water that's coming from the kedishani. If it's boiled water, then we don't have to worry about it too much. Irrigation on boiled water has already been cooked. Yes, English lach, abishal, but even though it's a double lach, but you don't really have much interest in that water. You really want it to cook. You're quite happy for it not to cook. Um, so you don't have to completely worry about that. And I once spoke to the brother-in-law of one of Barkber Solovechik's, no, Barkber Levovich's grandson. So he said to, he told us. So, uh, he told us that his mother, who was the daughter of Baruch Bear, would always make her a coffee, but she never dried out the, the, the cup. She said when, they, when she came up from Yeshiva and started being from and drying out the cup, so she said to my father, I watched my father make coffee many times and he never dried out the cup. So quite clearly there are many who, who are quite happy to allow you to use a wet cup. But if it's a wet cup which has been watered from the tap, best to dry it out. If it's water from the kettle, that's not such a big problem. We discussed the halakha of a ladle. Let's just run through that very, qu- very quickly. The ladle is considered a, a keli rishon for things that have never been cooked before. We consider the keli sheni for things that have had some level of cooking, be it cooked, cooked liquid or be it cooked uh, baked uh, produce or whatever it may be, then we consider the keli sheni. But one halakha which we have mentioned with the ladle and we're going to mention again, you must be very careful when you're using a ladle and, and it can, it can be a very common scenario this. You, you take your ladle and you fill up the plate of soup and you run the soup inside because your husband has to have the soup immediately, boiling hot straight off the, uh, straight off the gas or because your guest is, is very, very much than having hot soup. So you run in and then you come back again and you pick up the ladle and you start serving again. By the time you've done that, the, the, the residue soup on the ladle has cooled down. And you then go put the ladle back into the kedirish and you're recooking that residue soup. So well, the best thing to do is, is as soon as you finish serving, you're not going to be serving immediately the next plate and the next plate and the next plate, put it back in the pot and leave it in the pot and then come back and serve from the pot again. That makes it a little bit more complicated when it comes to the Kedirish and Kedishani stages because since you've left it in the pot for that long, it's very likely it's going to be very, very hot. But Al-Kopalim, better do that than Hathashallah have a problem of Bishul when you put it back in. Sorry? Well, you can use a train as well, yes. If you like washing up trees, not the Shabbos. Making teas and coffees we've discussed at length. We're not going to go through the whole process again. But the simple way to make an instant coffee, an instant tea, whether it's modern day coffees where you have 3-6% of uncooked 
raw coffee, coffee bean, ground coffee bean, or whether it's a normal instant coffee, make it in a Kedish Shishi and you're fine. But we take on the Kedish Shishi is okay, we're not so from, we don't, I'm not so mafia that you mustn't use the coffee on Shabbos. Instant coffee, instant tea can be used, best to make it in the Kedish Shishi. That means you have the, water, the urn on the, the, uh, on the gas or, or on the electric, take the water out of the urn into cup one, which is really what we call a Kedish Shani, Pour that into your cup two and make a coffee in your, in your cup two, which is considered the Kedish Lishi, and you really resolve all problems. The same as if you want to make a cocoa on Shabbos, there's no harm in making a cocoa on Shabbos, as long as you make it in the Kedish Lishi, because cocoa is probably uncooked. Probably uncooked. Right, now we have a few more minutes. I'd like to discuss some halachas of Bishal and Yomtev. That brings us to the end of Hichas Bishal on Shabbos. Now, Bishal and Yomtev is a completely different story, but it's very relevant to everything that we've discussed. Yomtev allows you to cook and bake on Yomtev. There's no problem cooking and baking on Yomtev. You can cook and you can bake. And let's just for a moment sidetrack and talk about baking on Yomtev because it's relevant to using ovens and Shabbos. It's extremely important. If you're allowed to bake on Yomtev, then you're allowed to use your oven on Yomtev. In fact, you can use your oven on Shabbos as well if you put the food in before Shabbos. But there's two things you have to be aware of in modern ovens. Firstly, we always used to tell you when you're using an oven on Shabbos, only open the door when the red light is on. That means the, the red light's on, that means the element is burning, the element is, is, is a light. By opening the door, you're just keeping the element light for a bit longer, you're not making any fire, there's no problem of hadlaka, there's no problem of any malaka on Shabbos or Yomtev. And don't forget, the problems of the oven on Shabbos and the problems of the oven on Yomtev are identical. The problem of a triggering an electric circuit is a, and creating a flame is, is also both on Shabbos and on Yomtev. So, we used to tell you, always make sure that the red light is on. One of the problems in modern day ovens are that they don't have a red light anymore. Most new ovens, not most, a lot of new ovens do not have red lights, which means that you have a real problem to know when to open it and when not to open it. Second, and this is a far bigger problem, and you probably don't even know if your oven has this safety feature in it or not, but most new ovens, not most, a lot of new ovens, and it will eventually become most new ovens, have a safety feature in it. If you'll never know, and it doesn't actually show up on the panel of the oven, the red light, if you have a red light, will stay on, you will have no idea that this is happening. You open your door, the, it, there's a magnetic strip inside, and as soon as the door opens, the element switches off. It's a safety feature. And the reason why they put this safety feature in is because everything's becoming remote. You're at work, and you want your shepherd's pie to be just done, just so. So you press a little button on your, on your telephone, and whoops, your oven switches on. But what happens to somebody at home who hasn't realized it switches on the oven, and they've left the oven open, and your oven will go on, and it could cut us on cause of fire. So they have the safety, a new safety feature. The moment you open your oven door, the element switches off. The panel stays on. It's the, the actual panel is reading an on oven. And that's because it doesn't want you to think that the oven's off, because it's not off, it's on. But the, ele- the electronics are all reading on, but your element has actually gone off, which therefore means both Shabbos and Yom Tov, if you have an oven with that safety feature in it, you, and I know people in Shul who didn't realize they had this oven and only recently realized they have this oven, it's got to be an oven that you bought recently, and it's got to be quite expensive oven, but this will become a feature in most ovens, unless they create a, a Shabbos oven which will override this feature. But in most ovens, this is a feature that exists already, uh, not most ovens, I should say, a lot of ovens, and if you do have that feature, you cannot use the oven. It doesn't matter if it's got Shabbos. A lot of the ovens with Shabbos modes on them will still have the safety feature in Because the manufacturers have got no idea about Shabbos. All they did is they put a Shabbos mode on, and the Shabbos mode is p- pretty much useless. Because every time you're opening your oven, you're switching off the element. You shut the oven, you're putting, on the oven, you're putting the element back on again. And that is a huge, huge problem with modern ovens. A huge problem with modern ovens. You can get around it. There are magnetic strips that you can buy. Uh, oven-proof, heat-proof. And you can just put it like you do on the fridge. You put a magnetic strip if you can find where the magnet is, where the magnetic point is, and 
that will keep the the oven reading, the door closed, even when your door's open, and then all you're left with is the, uh, an old problem with the oven. When am I, am I switching the thermostat on or am I not? And if you have a red light, then you'll be able to read that. If you don't have a red light, you have a bit of a problem. How do you open the door? Unless the oven's switched off, and then you can happily open the door. Because it's Yom Tov, and you want your oven for, for, for Yom Tov night, and you also want it for Yom Tov morning. Uh, you can't. How can I have my, my meat on Yom Tov morning not fresh? So I have to have my oven on, and it's got to stay on the whole time. If you put it on the timer to go on and off, it won't come on again. Because most ovens, once they go off, need to be reset before they can actually be switched on again. So you've got to keep it on running constantly for three days. That's what many people do. They keep the ovens running for three days on Yom Tov. Uh, and if you have a, a Yom Tov, a Shabbos mode, it'll allow you to keep it on for a long period of time. Because modern ovens switch off after a certain amount of hours. When it's off, the main light comes on. Why? Oh, you mean uh, the bulb inside comes on? So then you've got a problem. No, you've got a problem. Ovens today have become very complicated. They're not the same as they used to be. The good old, old-fashioned ovens are just simple, very simple, very easy to use. And we could use them Shabbos, we could use them Yontif. Modern ovens are very complicated. So just do check. If you have a new oven, recently bought, in the last few years, check that you don't have the safety, safety feature on it, that the opening of the oven door will switch off, and you'll never know about it, because it doesn't come up on the panel anywhere. It, it's not electronic reading, it's just a safety feature. So do find out if you have it. If you do have it, you cannot use your oven on Shabbos or Yom Tov until you've sorted out that safety feature. It doesn't make sense really. It's because the, the heat will remain in an oven after it's off. It only switches off for a few moments, so as long as the door's open. It's the moment you shut the door, it's back on again. So the oven doesn't really cool down much. The fan might stay on. The fan is not going to cause any fire. No, because you're, you're still trigger, triggering a, a, an electric current and you're triggering a new heat which wasn't there before. The oven was off and you've opened it up and you've now allowed the cold air to go in and you switch it on. So we don't, we don't allow that at all. But red light on, that's fine. Open the oven. Open the oven. But do be aware that ovens are not simple. If you do have an oven that works, then you're allowed to cook in the oven, you're allowed to bake in the oven, you can make bread. You can make colours in the oven. Absolutely no problem to make colours in the oven. Lovely to have fresh colours in the oven. If you're the type of person that loves being in the kitchen the whole of Yomtev, then make your halas in Yomtev. It will be fantastic. Put your meat in the oven for Yomtev morning. Fantastic. No problem at all to baking, baking cooking on Yomtev. Now, when you cook in Yomtev, you are allowed to add... When you cook in Yomtev, you're allowed to add as much as you like into the pot. So if I'm cooking meat in my pot, I can put in tons of meat. Even though I don't eat, I've got five guests and seven times meat, or I should say 20 guests and 20 times meat, and I can make a huge pot enough for 50 people. 60 people, intentionally, so that I should have extra meat for tonight, or should have extra meat for tomorrow. Okay, I know tomorrow's the day after Yom Tov, everybody's hungry, but nobody's got any patience to cook. So Yom Tov morning, I'm going to make a huge pot of meat, and I'll have plenty of meat for today, and plenty of meat for lunch tomorrow, and tomorrow's ready, it's Chag, it's not Yom Tov anymore. And I'm not allowed to cook on Yom Tov, other than for today. I can't cook for tomorrow on Yom Tov, I can't cook for a non-Jew on Yom Tov, I can't cook for my animals on Yom Tov. I'm only allowed to cook for myself, ourselves on Yom Tov, for today and ourselves. So, am I allowed to add into the pot or not? So here comes on Chazal with a, a, a very interesting halakha. Chazal understood how the cooking process works. And they told us that the more meat in a pot, the better the cooking. The better the meat will be at the end. I didn't know that, but Chazal told me that. So Chazal told me, if I have one piece of meat in the pot, no. Uh, lots of meat in the pot, it's going to taste different. It's going to be a, a, better, a better meat. It's going to, the end product is going to be a better product. So therefore, I'm allowed to add in as much meat as I like onto the pot, into the pot, irrelevant of 
how much I actually need because that's let's it's called that's for ben- the benefit of today that's for my benefit today makes the meat better I can put a pot on the plane put one pot in one piece of meat in then put another piece of meat in then put another piece of meat in doesn't make a difference I can add as many pieces of meat as I like as long as I don't express it clearly I am adding this meat for tomorrow I just put it in then I am adding it in for today it's considered for today because it, 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 I benefit from it today and I am permitted to do that on Shabbat on, on Yom Tov no problem at all no problem at all that's on top of the gas. In the oven too. In the oven too. In the oven too. If I'm cooking water, I'm heating up water on Yom Tif, So I can heat water on Yom Tif. If I'm heating water on Yom Tif, I can add in as much water as I like into the pot and put the pot on the gas. Makes no difference. Mabda Bishur is adding lots of water. I'm doing one action of cooking by taking the pot and putting it on the plate. That's absolutely fine. What I cannot do is have my pot on the, on the fire, add some water, and then add some more water, and add some more water. I can add as much water as I might or will probably need on Yom Tif, but I can't add more water after that, because then I'm adding water, which is totally unnecessary. And more water in a pot does not actually make the cooking process of the water any better. Cooked water is cooked water. Cooked liquid is cooked liquid. A big soup, a small soup, doesn't taste a slight bit different. So I can't add more water unnecessarily. I can add a, a huge urn of water and then put it on the flame in one go, even though I don't even, only need half a year, because I'm doing one action of cooking. But to pour and pour and pour, or even to pour in one go, since I'm adding extra water, every drop of water I add is a new maister bishop, a new action of bishop. I can't do that on Shabbos, I can't do that on Yom Tif, unless I need every bit of water that I'm putting in there. Sorry? Unless I need the water for Yom Tif. This therefore brings us to urns, which I'm not going to discuss urns again, now we're going to urns. There's been a, there has been a lot of work done by the Federation uh, on urns. Um, I'm not 100% in tune with everything they've written, but they have had a big write-up. If you look it up on their website, uh, they've been through all the different urns, some urns which stay on them, simostats or not simostats, the thermostats. Mr. Doddy Gorbis from Gates dissected a, a number of urns and went back to the manufacturers and told them, you're lying, you've written in the paperwork, they're simostats and they are not simostats, they are thermostats pure, straightforward thermostat, which are problematic, not ideal to be used on Shabbos or Yom Tov. There are others which are thermostat, and there are others, as we spoke, which have the double element. Uh, the first element, which is thermostatically controlled, second element, which is also thermostatically controlled, but doesn't ever, almost never switches off and on because it's not necessary, and it's just a retaining element, and it keeps the water at the, the given temperature that, you, that the manufacturer has set the temperature of the, of the element to be. Now, when it comes to refilling an urn on Yom Tov, comes to refilling an urn on Yom Tov, if you have a thermostatically controlled urn, any thermostatically controlled, if it's a thermostatically controlled urn alone, which itself is a problem, and ideally you shouldn't have them on Yom Tov, or Shabbos, but if it's a double thermostatically controlled, and you've got a double element, one element which is thermostatically controlled, the second element which is a heat retainer, then to add, every time you add cold water, it's going to trigger the big element to switch on, Small element will switch off, big element will switch on, and you're triggering a havara and electricity on Yom Tov that is forbidden. You cannot do that. Some, they say in Federation, though I, I've tried this in some urns, I haven't tried them in all the urns, they say the ones they've tried only work. Some, some say if you heat the water up on the fire, and then you add it to your to the urn when it's hot, it doesn't trigger. It, it, I think it depends on what type of urn and the size of the urn. Sorry? So, some, so if it doesn't come on, then you can do that. If it does come on, then you can't do that. If it does come on, uh, I've had urns like that where when you add hot water, it does, because the, the, when you take the water off the gas and you carry it over and you, split, you pour it in, that itself cools down a little bit, and it's a little bit less than, depends how sensitive the thermostat in your urn is. If it does trigger, then the only way you can actually fill an urn up on the opposite is to put your urn on a time switch, 
But make sure it's on a time switch after Nacht, not before Nacht. So you can then add as much water as you like. When the time switch switches back on again, it will heat up and you can have for the rest of the day the, 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 the hot water, as much water as you need. If you have an urn which has a semi-fat, you can just add water to it as long as the amount of water you're adding is what you will need for yomper or might need for yomper. You cannot add extra water because you know most of the yomper you're going to have to start washing up and your boiler hasn't kicked in and you want to have hot water there so you're going to add extra water that is bishul. There's no effort to do that at all. But you can add to a semi-fat because the semi-fat means that when you add the cold water it doesn't change the status of any of the elements at all. There's no electric change. There's no um, change of, of heat. Uh, there's no thermostat in there, there's no problem at all, as long as I don't add more than the water that I will likely need to use on yom. You can add while it's boiling, because if it, if, if, it, once it's, if once it's boiling, you're just keeping it boiling again. Yeah, that you can do, but it's a bit dodgy, because, because it can switch off very quickly. And you start pouring, and halfway through it will switch off, and then the next drop you pour it, you want it to stop switching off. So if, 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 if you can do that, that's fine. That's fine as well. So that, that's on the, the urns that have a double element. Once it's switched over, see some of them don't switch over very often. Some of them only switch over once a day, twice a day. They hardly switch over. The ones that switch over regularly, then if you know that it's switching over, you can, you can add cold water when it's switched off, when it's switched over already, so you're not changing anything. All you're doing is keeping the element burning for a bit longer, which is fine. And then when the water's hot, it will switch over to the, to the next element. Making a barbecue on Yom Tov. And I know you look at me as if I'm mad, but there are many people who make barbecues on Yom Tov. It's uh, becoming very fashionable. Yom Tov morning, instead of cooking a, a meal, uh, you just can't be bothered. So you make a barbecue. And, and usually the, the male element of the family cooks the barbecue, so you get a real rest. You don't have to make a Yom Tov meal. But barbecues are what we call sleep. Barbecues are the same as what we call roasting meat. And when you roast meat, Chazal tell us, if you have one piece of meat on the spit, or five pieces of meat on the spit, it doesn't change the cooking process. It doesn't add anything to the cooking process. In a pot, extra meat gives extra flavor. On a roasting spit, it doesn't give any extra flavor at all. So you can only add to the spit the exact amount of meat that you're going to eat on your pot. No extra. No extra at all. If I'm making a barbecue, I can only put on the barbecue the amount of meat, pieces of meat that I need. So if I'm making steaks on a barbecue, and I've got 20 guests, and the average person will eat three steaks, so I can put 60 steaks on my barbecue. No more. If the average person is going to eat two steaks, then I can put two. They put one steak, one. If the average is going to eat half a steak, then I can only put half, etc. Uh, each person to, depends what type of guests you have and how much they eat. But no more, no extra meat then. Now, even though when you put a, a meat on the barbecue, this is very interesting, it's shot in Hilfus Yomtev. When I put the meat on the barbecue in Yomtev, the fat will drip out onto the coals and actually Distinguish some of the coals. So that's what happens when you make a barbecue. It, it, it goes that sizzles. When it's sizzling, it's putting out the fire where it's dropped, and and uh, helps in the in the cooking process. But that's okay on Yom Tov, even though you're not allowed to put out fire in Yom Tov. But that's okay because this is definitely called the Sarech Achila. It's dropping there to en- enhance the cooking process. Even more so, because I'll tell us, Bossa Agumri, that's charred meat. They used to put the meat directly on the coals, and you can do that nowadays as well. You take the grating off the barbecue and you put your meat on the coals it'll be a very charred piece of meat but it'll have some sort of taste some people might like it to, when you put it on the coals you are in, in, <laughs> inevitably going to be putting out some of that fire when you put your meat on the coals but that's again related because that is very much the process of cooking and it's called a kibbutz of Sarekakila and that's not a problem at all on Yom
but no, but then you put it in the, you put it in the pot. You never roast on a spit, do you? No. You put hot, and then 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 it does because the juice is all mixed together and mixed into the so it'll it will have the flavour. It's only when I'm literally roasting. If I'm grilling, if you somehow rather get your grill on 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 Yom Tov and you put your 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 meat on the grill, grilling would be considered um, roasting. Then you can eat it. Eat it tomorrow, no problem. You can add loads as much as you like. You put five chickens in, in, in your single pot. Then that's fine. But you've got to only put on what you you uh, make a cheshbon that you've worked out and that's going to be enough for the guests and not more. You can't... See, in a pot I can add loads more knowingly for tomorrow as long as I don't express it clearly. I can add as much as I like. But I can't do that when I'm roasting. So I think that gives us a, a quick overview of Hitler's Bishop on Yom Tif. Um, there's so much more to do, but we, we, not, we, we decided to do Chazor and Hezbollah. We're not going to cover every aspect of Hezbollah. Not Shabbos, not Yom Tov. And yes. then we'll move on to perhaps, uh, not, we have to have a show of hands for next for two weeks' time, Hanukkah. Uh, should we Hanukkah be a parting time or should Hanukkah be a time to come to Shir? Uh, can we have a show of hands? Who thinks that we should have Shir next week, in two weeks' time? Well, so uh, I'm afraid you'll be not voted. Your husband's been outvoted. Send a message to Paul, you've been outvoted. So, Mr. Chairman, we'll have Shane in two weeks' time. And if, if there's any need to cancel, let me know and, and we'll cancel. The one we'll, uh, I'd like to start with Duchazon. This is extremely important. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, sick. People are sick. Um, when you should call out solo, you shouldn't call out solo, etc. Et These are a lot of, it's a Shokhanah tells us, if you don't actually know them, then, there, then you, you could be Chasashon inadvertently causing somebody uh, to die or somebody to, to become seriously ill. These are a lot of, you must know. If you hesitate to call out solo when you're not supposed to hesitate, that's terrible. If you call them when you're not supposed to call them, that's also terrible. So we need to get it right, and these are a lot of, we can't ever learn enough all the Chazorah let me just say one quick word, just something very short that I thought of this morning. came to my mind this morning. This week's Sedra is the story of, of Yaakov and Esau. And Rambam tells us that the way Yaakov prepared to go and meet Esau is nice, obviously, in the bonnet. That's how we have to work out, live our lives through Golos. And we have to learn that, that, that when we interact with the non Jews and we interact with our enemies, how to approach them. And we have to take the lessons from Yaakov where he prepared both the presents with Tula and from Mohammed. But in truth, every time we talk about a Mohammed in the Torah, we're always referring to the main Mohammed, the biggest Mohammed, the biggest war that each one of us has, and that's the war with the Yetzirah himself. The Chagat Abba tells us that when he saw, it, uh, there was this Tzadik, uh, he saw the soldiers come back from the army, come back from a war, and they were victorious, he turned around and said, you've come back from a very easy war. The big war is here, the big war is the war that you're going to have to have with the Sotan. So in truth, what, what Yaakov Avinu is teaching us is the way we approach the, the Yetzirah, the way he tries to entice us, the way we try to keep him at bay has to be threefold as well. He has to be dairen, he has to sometimes appease the Sotan. The Gemara tells us, in Pagabach Nubo there, if the Sotan uh, meets you, Mashchei Lebeis Medrash, you take him with him to the base Medrash, you don't fight him, you bring him, bring him into the base Medrash. So you bring him into the base Medrash, you can't, you're, you're appeasing him, you're giving him some sort of appeasement, there's no way that he can now start with you. But at the same time, at the same moment that you're appeasing the Sultan, at the same time that you're actually saying to the Sultan, don't worry, I'll deal with you soon, you know, just say, there's your present, there's a sorry la zazil, but we're giving you a present, at the same time you've got to be ready to fight him as well. And you've got to be prepared to fight, you've got to prepare yourself for Muhammad with the Sultan, because that is the biggest Muhammad that the Bible tells us. And finally, there's no way that a person can actually fight the Sultan on his own. A person that doesn't have a Kaddish Siyat Kishmai, a helping hand in fighting the Sultan, you're never going to win the Sultan. He's far, far, far too powerful. 
And that's the third element of Yaakov Avinu, the Tefillah. We, each one of us has to prepare ourselves for Dayan, we have to prepare ourselves for Mechama, we have to prepare ourselves for Tefillah, and that way, as Hashem, we will be desired to overcome the Sotan, and we'll see the Bilah Hamavah Hametah, the end of the Sotan forever, and we'll be left with the Bishan Gold, the Torah, maybe or may not, or maybe.